Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots as well as free returns and exchanges and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hi everybody, this is Doc. And this is Jukebox. And we're talking to you from the parking lot of a TGIF because we are excited about June 3rd. Alone, Season 8 coming out. Your favorite podcast hosts are back with your favorite show. Yes, you might know us from the John Freakin' Muir Pod, but we also have a, another podcast called Solitude, and it is the companion podcast to the hit survival uh, adventure series on the History Channel, Alone. Strap in, get comfortable, be prepared as we break down each episode every week, provide our expert analysis, and make some predictions about who we think is going to take the ultimate prize. Bears have been known to attack man, although the fact is that fewer people have been killed by bears than in all of World War I and World War II combined. Peter Galky. So we were in a tournament somewhere like in Modesto or something, somewhere close to the foothills, and we got knocked out of tournament on Saturday, so I just loaded my gear, and I said, I'm going fishing up at, uh, at our spot up at, at a Hetch Hetchy. So... On the trail, I was camping in this little meadow called Beehive on my tarp. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night going, huh, thought it was clear. How come I can't see any stars? And my food was in a tree, but my pack was on a log on one side of me with it open so bears don't shred it when they, they just poke their head and try and see what's in there. It was a bear straddled over my head uh, and uh, with his head in my pack. So the screams 
uh, of me, not the bear, <laughs> scared him away. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Mirpod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest. Folks, we are in for a real treat today because we are talking to a hiker with 45 years of hiking experience. He is well-seasoned. It is my pleasure to welcome to the show the host of the eight-man YouTube channel, Terry Halverson. Welcome to the pod, Terry. Thanks, Doc. Uh, I guess it's a good thing and a bad thing to hear that I have 45 years of hiking experience because it means I'm old, but just get it out of the way. I'm an old man, but I might have some wisdom to share. I'm, I'm 61 years old, but still getting plenty of backcountry time in. Yeah, as we say on the pod, wisdom comes from experience and experience comes with a lot of mistakes. So we are looking forward to hearing some, uh, some tales from the trail tonight. Oh, yeah. Made lots uh, of mistakes in my day. <laughs> All right. Hey, let's, uh, let's start with the trail name, Ape Man. We go strictly by, by trail name on the podcast here. So uh, you have to tell us how you picked up the moniker Ape Man. That's uh, a good story because uh, I got that moniker before trail names were really popular uh, about 40 years ago. So uh, what I'm known for is these long appendages. I am a big man. I'm 6'3". Uh, and I have extra long arms, so uh, the, that's where the ape thing comes from. But I was the guy, back in the day, we didn't have these fancy bear canister things. By the way, people use your bear canisters. They work really well. You don't even, I'm going to tell some stories about the bear days before canisters. It was a regular occurrence, almost nightly from bears. But if you don't know how to counterbalance, learn how to counterbalance check eight man's YouTube channel. He has a video about how to counterbalance. So if the old days we used to hang food in trees. So you pull up one bag all the way to the top of a branch and then you have to tie up the other bag. So it helped have a tall guy. So it's like eight man, get over here and do the bag thing. So the tall guy had to tie off the other bag and then counterbalance them. So uh, the eight man arms were good for, for bear defense and also for flinging rocks at bears, which was a nightly encounter too. So, Yep, that's where the ape man came from, and it stuck, and I've had it for about 40 years. It's almost like a superhero power, having extra long arms. It comes in handy. I uh, used, used it in a lot of things, uh, sports and uh, a lot of just life things, but uh, with these lanky, this lanky body is breaking down, but uh, uh, it still comes in handy. All right, very good. Have you had a chance to listen to the podcast before, ape man? I did. Uh, I listened to the one with Jason Fitzpatrick from the Mile, Mile and a Half crew who did the JMT trail. And I'll get in a quick story about that uh, right now. Uh, shoot. The year they did that hike, I think it was 2011. Me and my daughter and another kid, they were kids at the time. We were hiking out at Ray Lakes. Uh, 
just doing a week long trip and they don't show this in the movie, but that there was three solid days of rain where they kind of have a break in a lot of footage. And right around sunset, there was this epic sunset over Ray Lakes. We were the only one there. And Jason and the crew came cruising into camp. And I was looking, look at these idiots. They're carrying, what is that? Like a full-size tripod? And they had, they had so much gear, props to that. And uh, we had a long conversation with Jen and Jason and watched the sun go down. And then we're, you know, of course, you know how you meet people in the backcountry. They kind of become lifelong friends. They invited us to their premiere and we went to a film festival that they were there. And uh, we're actually sort of mentioned in that movie where they talk about it. They killed a guy, a dad for a Snickers bars and they show the Snickers bars in the movie in their tent during I think it's raining at the time so I was the Snickers guy that gave them those so yeah uh great people and uh much love to them except for the popularity of the backcountry because of movies like that but and a lot of the books have come out it's crazy how popular the backcountry is right now nice nice little claim to fame there for you very little. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I only ask if you've listened to the podcast because I want to make sure that you're aware of a regular segment we do called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. And that comes towards the end of the episode. I will turn to you and I'll say, Ape Man, what can you share with our listeners that's going to make their next outdoor experience that much more epic? Uh, some okay. kind of wisdom, uh, trail magic, uh, insight into you know what, what to prepare for, what to, what to bring to, to make it better. So don't be surprised when I turn to you. Okay. All right. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the must bring gear review. And here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So eight man, what is your must bring piece of gear? All right. Uh, For me, that's an easy one. This kind of depends on the time of the year too, but I do most of my backpacking in, in summer when it's good weather uh, is the pack itself. So uh, I learned the hard way. This is part of my 45 years of experience. I've got these, you know, 90 liter packs where you carry the kitchen sink and everything. And that's what we did in the old days. Uh, and I've learned, I don't need a six to eight pound pack. Plus, I can reduce the temptation of bringing a bunch of crap. My favorite piece of gear right now is the Gossamer Gear Mariposa 60 pack. Now, it's not as ultralight as some of these crazy ultralighters like Jupiter Hikes. That that guy's nuts. I like hot food, too. Love that guy, by the way. Uh, And by the way, uh, shout out to some of your past guests. You've had some amazing guests. That Mike Toffee guy, I follow him. Yes. He is just amazing. I, I live vicariously through his. I've done some peaks, but not as many as him. And uh, just the guy who did Everest and the South Pole, North Pole. I'm just honored to be talking to you. So uh, <laughs> watching, I watch a lot of YouTube videos and I've learned to going more ultralight has been life-changing for me. As you know, I have two new, uh, I've had two knee replacements, one nice. three months ago and I'm still hiking. And uh, that, that pack, uh, it's, it's not super small. I can carry a lot, but I can do a week in this year now with food, 35 pounds easy. And it's changed my enjoyment. I'm not doing the death marches anymore. I'm out enjoying things. And I do got to say, uh, 
I did get that pack for free from Gossamer Gear. Thank you, people at Gossamer Gear, a great company. I didn't ask for it for free. I just knew I wanted that pack and asked them if they want me to do a review, and they sent me a, a free pack. And I don't do a lot of endorsements. So, uh, in fact, I do very few endorsements. You'll, hear, you'll probably hear me talk about some products, but I don't endorse them. I buy good stuff. I don't want to be owned by anybody because uh, I like to roam free in the woods and I like to roam free at the, uh, the backpacking stores too. So that pack is uh, well worth it. And a lot of check out their other products. They make a lot of great stuff. Very good. That's uh, that's an important piece of uh, gear review right there, because if you limit the size of your pack, you're right. You limit the temptation to pack the kitchen sink and, and add that additional mm-hmm. weight. So it kind of forces you to be judicious with your, your selection of what goes into that pack. So yep. very nice. And speaking of Jupiter hikes, you know, we are, we are talking today on, uh, what is this, March 15th, and the Jupiter hikes episode just came out today. So if you haven't had, I will check it out. I watch all his stuff. He's, he's hilarious. And that's, I'm very picky about who I hike with, but uh, I'd hike with that guy anytime. I know I couldn't keep up with him and he wouldn't want me around anyway. Some old (laughs) slow guy, but no, I, I really enjoy him and his, his, just his outlook and his joy. He's awesome. Yeah. Great guy. He was a great interview. All right. Check it out. Let's back up a little bit before we get too far down the trail and let's talk about the early years and you know, where you grew up, what your family was like growing up and what kind of hobbies and sports were you involved in and how did you get involved in the hiking cult? I come from a teacher's family, grew up in the Bay Area. My hiking in the days was during civil rights marches in San Francisco, chat, uh, chatting one, two, three, four, we don't want your effing war. And uh, just grew up in an amazing culture in, in the Bay Area. But we lived in the ghetto, in a part of the Bay Area. So our there's five of us kids. We didn't have a lot of money. So three months off, teachers, uh, where do we end up? We were up in the Sierra, uh, just doing a lot of car camping. Uh, we did a trans-Sierra uh, camping trip once we'd, we'd drive across the country all the time and just go to all the national parks and we just did day hikes mostly but uh just grew up uh i kind of got the outdoor bug and we loved to camp we camp for a month or two every summer so it was kind of amazing and i just fell in love with the sierra especially one of the special areas was around toalmi meadows tioga pass area we spent a lot of time up there We'd fished a lot too, because we didn't have enough money to buy food. So we ate a lot of fish. (laughs) Nice. So yeah, sports. uh, When we were home, you know, I did the usual baseball, football, uh, and uh, it took its toll on on my body. My sister, by the way, was a a college, four-year college basketball player, and she just got her first knee knee replacement also. So we were all kind of outdoorsy. And uh, one of my older brothers was actually the first one in the family to take up backpacking when I was about 15. And I thought this was cool. And the first time he lent me his gear, we went up to Yosemite and left our gear in the car while we went in the woods to gather some, some firewood pack got stolen. Oh no. So we spent a week in the woods without packs. I mean, in the camp in there. And this is the, this is another good old day story. We went to the ranger station and reported it. They gave us gear. 
to lend lent us gear so we could still go out and they looked around for our stuff but we we they had you know just stuff they found laying around it wasn't great but the customer service back then was a little different than it is now so uh, i had to buy my own pack after and my brother never let me any gear again <laughs> wow that's tragic right there off the right off the bat yeah. you get your gear stolen that's terrible yeah that's just uh a lesson to be learned i suppose if you're through hiking when you stop at places except for trail crest going up mount whitney where there's the big pile of packs and bear canisters i still leave mine there because hey i'm tired by that time i want to just take a day pack up there but yeah That's be right. careful where you leave your pack keep an eye on it very good and you you mentioned you've been going to the sierra for for many many years mm-hmm. and how, how much interaction have you had with backcountry rangers during that time period actually uh i got to know a lot of rangers by by name uh rob who works at the usually based out of the crabtree ranger station there was a guy that was a veteran that had no legs that walked around with a uh, prosthetic legs up uh wow. in vedette area mm-hmm. uh and uh yeah over the years we'd see the same rangers all the time <laughs> i remember this one particular trip me and my daughter had spent a week in a secret off trail location somewhere near the crabtree crabtree meadows area but the opposite way from uh uh from whitney where it's 25 miles from the trailhead to this spot where there's golden trout that are this big. Can't tell you where it is. It's secret and there's no trail to it. But uh, after five, six days out there, we I remember coming home and it was just pouring rain and we stopped by the ranger station at rock Creek. We ran into the ranger and he goes, he was late in the season. I think it was like October and those guys get a little stir crazy at the end of the season. And he insisted we come and take a tour of his cabin. Those <laughs> cabins are very Spartan. There's not much in them. And we still joke about this, me and my daughter, where he goes, you want to see something really cool? And he opened the bench in his cabin was also a storage area. He opened it up and he pulled out a bowl of fresh potatoes, unpeeled potatoes. He goes, look at that. Those are fresh potatoes. And we're going, this guy needs to go, go home. It's late <laughs> in the season. He was so, lonely. We got out of there and uh, set up our tent in the rain. And uh, those even back back then, we, I, we saw very few people back. This is even just maybe 13 years ago. Uh, permits were way easier. You didn't see a lot of people. I feel like my shoulder season, especially fall, just to get it. I like, I like a wilderness experience, but I like to do the popular trails too. And, you know, you got to do Matt Whitney and Half Dome and places like that even though it's a zoo. Right. In your travels, did you ever meet Randy Morganson? Oh, shoot. No, but of course I've read his book. I have not. That yeah. that would be an honor to meet him. Yeah. yeah I love that guy. Yeah. So I'm in, I'm in the middle or towards the end of, of uh, the last season and we're going to have the author on a future episode. So looking forward to that one. Wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. That's one of my all time favorite books. Very, yeah. very cool. Pretty incredible. I mean, the accounts and the descriptions and, of course, all the, the ranger stations where he was stationed at throughout the years. I mean, you, you just kind of go through your mental catalog of, oh, yeah, I've been, I've been at, that, at that ranger station. I've been there. I've seen that. So it's a yeah, very cool book. Did I meet him? I, I may have met him and not even known it was him. But, yeah, uh, yeah do you, I get, I'm a, as you can probably tell already, I'm a kind of a chatty guy. 
and I solo sometimes too. And uh, yeah, you, you, you get kind of a uh, chatty with people when you haven't seen anybody for three or four days. So sure. As evidenced by that, that ranger that wanted to show you his potatoes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> potatoes. I want to clarify. These were actual potatoes that you peel. That, that could be a, a key word for meaning something else. Yes. Thank you for clarifying. I want to make sure there's no <laughs> misunderstanding here. Very good. All right, so let's talk about your uh, your college years and uh, your first sub zero. Uh, oh yeah, this trip is out a, to the, the Hoover Wilderness. This is an old man story for you, but uh, so my first backpack when I uh, graduated uh, from high school, of course, my graduation present was a backpack, and it was from Best. It was a catalog store, cost nineteen dollars, big old aluminum thing with a bag on it and uh you know with the old aluminum frame where you just strap everything on it so that was my equipment and my sleeping bag was just the kid's sleeping bag in the living room that we used you know with cotton rated to 50 degrees maybe (laughs) so (laughs) so yeah college years uh we've done a couple of short trips but uh this trip i remember i went to san Jose state by the way uh, and I remember we were in the dorms. I actually didn't live in the dorms, but uh, that didn't prevent me from going to dorm parties. And uh, we were sitting around having some beers. It was pretty late October. And of course I migrated to people that liked the outdoors back then too. In fact, I was an environmental studies major. So it was all a bunch of stoner outdoor guys that I hung out with back in the day. Of course that was pretty much everybody in college in the, in the seventies. <laughs> uh, but uh one guy decided about 10 o'clock, we'd already downed a couple six packs. Let's go backpacking. So we gathered up a bunch of crap. We went into the Hoover Wilderness up above Bridgeport. Now, back in the day, this is probably 1980. Uh, you maybe needed a permit. We usually got permits. You would just call the ranger station and they would leave it in a drop box. Mm-hmm. But I think this time it was so late in the year, we couldn't even get a permit. So parked at the trailhead. Yeah, the ranger. I, the ranger said, hey, "There's nobody crazy enough to go camping, uh-huh. backpacking at this time of the year." Well, the, yeah, that's why they do it because people that go at this time of year are the ones that need rescue, and that's really what the permits are for. But now they're doing it for resource management, obviously because of the, the heavy impact on the resource. But mm-hmm. so we decided to pick this lake called Summit Lake out of Hoover Wilderness, not too far of a hike, uh, probably five miles, but it's a little over ten thousand feet. It's right on the border of Yosemite. The the east side of Yosemite, a uh, pretty barren, windy place. So there was three of us and two of the guys had a tent. I was using what I kept, I used until I was 30. I didn't own a tent until I was 30 and did a lot of backpacking. I used a four by eight, uh, just regular tarp and laid on top of that. If it rained, I pulled that and slept on the dirt. In fact, I was going to show you some old man equipment. This was my sleeping pad. It's a good quarter inch wide. Yeah, that's from that's, the day they they call these insulite pads. These were cutting edge, really lightweight, luxury. Our value of about seven, <laughs> and uh, so that was my gear. And uh, the forecast was for snow, but you know who pays attention to that when you're 18 years old? So the two guys crawl in the tent, and then it starts snowing, and we got about a foot of snow on us. So I just pulled my tarp over me put every stitch of clothing I had. I'd probably die now. Uh, at, at the end of the trip, we went by the ranger station and asked how, what the temperature was at Bridgeport. 
And he said it was just got below zero at Bridgeport. So we were up a couple thousand feet. So we were probably about five below. And I don't know, I just had, and this is back in 1980. I had cotton shirts, cotton sweatshirts, four pairs of socks, just put everything in there and shivered all night long. But, you know, we didn't think anything of it. Got up in the morning. We fished a lot in the old days. And I remember casting for fish. It was so cold. I had to knock the ice out of the eyelets of my fishing pole on every cast because they'd freeze up. That's how cold it was. But we didn't think anything of it. Great trip. Had fun. It was just one night. Came back, survived, and uh, went back to school the next day. So that was just, that's what we did back in the day. (laughs) Wow. People were tougher back then because, you know, pulling the tarp over you and wearing just your, your multiple layers of clothing and having a foot of snow pile on top of you that's uh that's pretty incredible the snow probably saved me because it, it had an insulation factor to it <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we, we it was too high to have a fire too but uh in the day i didn't own a camping stove until i was about 32 but you could have fires all over the sierra back in the day but above 10,000 feet you still couldn't back then and there was no trees at that le- at that level anyway so we didn't have a fire that night but our typical trips were several guys around a fire laying on top of a tarp with our usually under a tree with our food because the bears would come every night so we could with a pile of rocks so we could defend it and if it got cold one of the guys woke up when you got up to piss you stoked the fire with another log and went back to sleep so it was simple and uh we didn't as long as we had our fishing poles and some matches and uh could haul our gear up there we took whatever we could strap onto the back and we didn't know any better, and we were, it wasn't uncommon to carry 70 pounds of stuff 10 miles a day. And we were, you know, this was the jock types, too. We were, we were tough back in the day, and uh, it was, now I call it tough. It was probably more like stupid, but the gear hadn't come out. It hadn't evolved to what it is now, so I've embraced that in my older age now. That's right. Tough and stupid uh, can be synonymous at times. Mm-hmm. Yep. Very so, good. Uh, speaking of the old days, here's one, you know what this is called, right? Uh, he's holding up a bowl with a handle on it that is uh, curved. I am. Okay. Sure it's a bowl. What are you 35 doc? Oh, I wish I wish trans <laughs> transpose the numbers. All right. The, the 55 plus guys will know what this is. Okay. This, this is called the Sierra cup. Oh. Every backpacker carried one of these. You could strap this on your pack with this little handle. It was like a cutting edge piece of gear because of that little handle. It was made out of aluminum and semi-light. So that was part of the gear. We cooked on fires. We didn't use stoves. Mm-hmm. We ate a lot of fish. And uh, yeah, like I said, the, the camping was around a fire. And uh, we did a lot of backpacking out of Yosemite, out of uh, Hetch Hetchy area. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'd go up to Jack Main Canyon. Uh, oh, what's she, what was the name of that lake? Starts with a V, but, uh, anyway, there's some, some really good fishing lakes back up in there, but we were always wondered why the bears were so aggressive there compared to other places. And I don't know if you've ever seen the bear traps that the Rangers used to put up. Uh, it was basically a, a big old piece of culvert with a trap door on it. And they throw food in it around the campgrounds in like Yosemite Valley where the bear bears became a problem. Uh-huh. Bears would go in there. They'd catch them. These were the culvert was on a little trailer. They'd haul the bears up to Hetch Hetchies, which is in a more remote area of the park, dump them there. So these are the most experienced thief bears you could imagine. So 
Uh, I remember one trip going up there. Uh, one of my buddies woke up in the middle of the night screaming. We're going, what the hell's wrong with you? And this is when we're sleeping on top of our tarps. A bear was licking his face for the salt probably on his face. Uh-huh. And another trip, I did, a, I did a solo up there. This is how, how we rolled in the day. I played a lot of softball in my 20s and 30s. That's another way, reason I ruined my knees. So we were in a tournament somewhere like in Modesto or something, somewhere close to the foothills. And we got knocked out of the tournament on Saturday. So I, I just loaded my gear. And I said, I'm going fishing up at, uh, at our spot up in, at a Hetch Hetchy. So on the trail, I was camping in this little meadow called Beehive on my tarp. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night going, huh, I thought it was clear. How come I can't see any stars? And my food was in a tree, but my pack was on a log on one side of me with it open. So bears don't shred it when they, they just poke their head and try and see what's in there. It was a bear straddled over my head uh, and uh, with his head in my pack. So the screams uh, of me, not the bear, <laughs> scared him away. But that was not uncommon to see bears constantly. I've, I remember having bears rear up 10 feet in front of me while we're chasing them with rocks and uh it was almost a nightly occurrence. And so, uh, you know, the bear, the bear canisters, yeah, you got to love them and hate them, but it's so nice to put all your stuff in a bear canister and not have to worry. Kind of miss the stories, but in my old age, uh, I, I actually embrace the canisters and use them almost every trip. So love them. Wow. A lot of bear stories. Nice. Oh yeah. Uh, it's a pleasure to see them. Now I see them still, but usually when I'm hiking they're, during the day, you'll see some stroll by or maybe just come through camp, but they were conditioned to see a human. There's got to be food there and uh, right. they're, they're much better now. So yeah, right. it was different back in the day. So the Rangers with their, with their capture and relocate system with the bears, they inadvertently kind of uh, produced a, a, a gathering of bears up in the Hetch Hetchy area that were very experienced uh, with getting getting food from from backpackers huh the alpha raider bears uh i remember another trip in the same area where i was with a buddy and we couldn't find a good hang tree we became very good because the bears would go up in your tree break off branches we got really good at hanging food they i never lost uh food a bear hang even though i've had bears in my trees we got really really good at it but this this day we couldn't find a good tree so we hung the best we could on a tree and we slept a foot from the base of the tree, him on one side, me on the other side. Sure enough, we wake up, there's a bear up in our tree. So a few well-placed rocks. And we figured we were conditioning the bears to uh, associate people with rocks instead of food. And uh, yeah, it worked. <laughs> nice, nice. Now I have a note here on my outline that uh, you actually camped on top of Half Dome. Oh, yes. Okay. This is an example of the way uh, the resources overused compared to what it, what it is now. So this was my college crew days. Mm -hmm. And one of my buddies, let's do half dome. And it said, sounds great. Let's just, you, it was legal, by the way, back then around, I think they probably changed it about 1985. There used to be five trees on top of half dome. Idiots cut them down and burned them and had campfires uh. up there. But you didn't need a permit to climb Half Dome. You needed a permit to stay overnight. So you went up the mist trail and you might see there might be 50 hikers during the day that would come up. 
if that. When you're on the cables, there'd be maybe a couple other people. So we climbed up there, set up a camp spot on the top. There was one other group up there. This is in summer. It wasn't that big a deal. I mean, it wasn't a bucket list thing. I think it's it's social media. So sure. uh, that became kind of a a thing for me. You know, I couldn't wait to get my daughter up there. We didn't camp up there, but by the time I got her up there, you had to have a permit. Mm-hmm. Have, have you done half dome? I have. Yes. Did you have to wait in line at the bottom of the cables just to get on them? Yeah, we, we kind of waited at the bottom and just observed the spectacle of people going up and coming down and no kind of traffic pattern. It was just uh-huh. complete, complete chaos. <laughs> I've learned to uh, have fun with that trail because you'll see people on the hike from all over the world with totally ill-equipped that shouldn't be there. Most of them do get up there, but... Uh, you, we always just kind of laugh at the people. You go, are these guys going to make it? And sure enough, you see them up there. And well, you know, a lot of them don't even speak English, but it's just kind of a worldwide iconic, mm-hmm. awesome place. Then there's the picture you can get. Uh, I'll send you a copy of one with my daughter sitting on the ledge of Half Dome with her feet hanging over it. That's right. Over yeah. it. That's probably why I'm not married to her mom anymore. <laughs> uh, my current my current IT wife is my second wife, and my current happy happy life happy wife happy IT wife. So yeah, she, she tolerates my, uh, my outdoor uh, bug and totally, totally supports my trips. We do a lot of camping together and I've dragged her out on backpacking, but it's not totally her thing. She really enjoys the outdoors, right. but not to my degree. So nice. do you have any pictures of your, your camping excursion on top of Half Dome? Uh, you know, cameras were barely invented back then. It was the Instamatics. <laughs> uh, I have a picture of my daughter doing a handstand when she's about 10 years old on top of Half Dome. But yeah, I, I, have, I have a few. Uh, I'll see if I can dig out the, the old pictures. Okay. Fantastic. And then also tell me about Cathedral Peak. Did you uh, <laughs> find yourself standing on top of Cathedral Peak at one, at one point? Yes. Uh, another uh, college trip. Again, we didn't have social media. We just kind of went and we just, we got lost a lot, wandered around. We had our paper maps and compasses and we took, there's a shortcut. I think we, we started at Sunrise Lakes and one day we just started wandering off trail and uh, we go, look at that cool peak over there. We had, we, you know, we had our full gear. We had, we'd camped the night before a couple nights and we went for it. We didn't even know it was Cathedral Peak. I learned that later. And I think there was four of us and we got up to the top and then it gets, there's a lot, like it's a probably a class three, the last little bit of that peak. Mm-hmm. So two of the guys said, screw this. We're not going to die on a backpacking trip. But two of us crawled up there, pulled, we, you made the other guys, we made a chain with bodies and climbed up and bagged Cathedral Peak back in the day and never saw another person. And then we ended up hiking down to Cathedral Lakes and out, out down to the Valley after in a couple more days. But, uh, yeah, dangerous, dumb things I would never do now. But, uh, you know, when you're in college, a lot of testosterone flowing through the veins. It's, sure. it's amazing. I survived. But uh, now I do a little, not, as, not that much. I'm not a guy who plans, plans ahead. Uh, we would just kind of go for it. But I always carry maps. And I still bring paper maps with me. And, you know, I love all trails. And I still do some off trail stuff and uh, that stuff comes in handy. I have a spot for safety. It's really for my loved ones back at home, not for me, but uh, my, I have people that 
rely on me now back in college you know i didn't think it mattered if i died i guess but <laughs> yeah cathedral peak that is that is pretty uh um that's pretty nervy. I mean, it, it is pretty daunting. I, I hadn't realized that anybody had summited it until I talked to Toffee on the podcast and he pointed out that, yeah, I think John Muir actually made the first ascent and he, he did it as well. So there's a, there's a way there's a crack. And I think I had to change my underwear after, but yeah. I was scared, scared shitless, but I wasn't going to let my friends call me a pussy, but yeah, <laughs> I'd rather die. I told you we were idiots. <laughs> Very good. Well, hey, uh, Ape Man, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to hear more about the Yosemite uh, years, and uh, we'll, we'll eventually make our way to the, the John Muir Trail. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money, all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for Podcasters, I feel like... My creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We are talking to Ape Man who has 45 years hiking and backpacking experience. And, you know, also in my notes here, eight man, I've got something about Mount Shasta. Is there a story about Mount Shasta that you can share with us? Well, this again goes back to my youth and stupidity of my youth. Uh, uh, we we like to peak bag and do, you know, if we saw a high place, we'd go to it. Nothing in comparison, like I mentioned earlier, to Mike Toffee. But, uh, you know, we do, you know, you got to do Mount Whitney because it's the highest peak. And uh, around Yosemite, if there's a peak, you, you go for it. Just Day, a lot of day hikes. I've summited most of the peaks in Desolation, which is an hour from my house, Desolation Wilderness. But uh, as a younger man, shoot, we were probably, wasn't that young, probably about 30. Uh, a couple of us were talking about, you know, you ever see Mount Shasta? That's like the coolest mountain. Let's go climb that thing. So our logic, being not very smart, again, no social media. You did your own research. No way to research what's the best time to climb Mount Shasta. We figure going like November before it starts snowing. And if you think you don't want to hike on snow, obviously you want to hike on snow. So we went up the Avalanche Gulch route as a day hike. I think it's 7,000 feet from the trailhead to the summit of Shasta. So it's a pretty intense hike. So we start going up what's called Avalanche Gulch. This is the tourist route up, up uh, Shasta. And we uh, start... Uh, as the, the, the day goes along, it starts warming up, rock slides start. And one of my friends gets hit with a softball-sized rock in the chest that just came barreling down. We were dodging rocks, saying, this is freaking nuts, but hey, we're going to make up, make it up to Mount Shasta. There's this thing called the Red Rocks uh, that is kind of the top of this avalanche gulch. So we're dodging boulders, climbing boulders. It's scree. You're going backwards. I mean, 
we're talking a lot of rocks moving down this mountain. Some really fast, some just kind of sliding down. Then this rock, I'm not kidding, the size of a Volkswagen cuts loose. And we're seeing, you can see these things several hundred yards above you. Uh-huh. We're going, guys, we're about to die. Get ready to dodge. And what we had learned from the smaller rocks, we would wait and then wait to see where they're going because they kind of changed course and we'd dive out of the way. So we dive out of the way of this Volkswagen and we finally say, fuck this. Our lives are more important. And so we end that trip. So uh, five years passes and I start doing some research and I find, okay, it's better when there's snow on the ground and you use crampons. We didn't have crampons or ice axes or any of that. So I acquired that gear because I was doing peak bagging in other, other peaks too. So I had some gear, didn't really know how to use it well. So uh, we, I found a buddy who was inexperienced. It's funny, not a lot of people when I was 30 wanted to go hike 20, 30 miles out in the woods. Uh, Shasta is only a 12 mile round trip with a 7,000 foot gain. But I take this guy, totally inexperienced, but we're on the snow. He rented his gear and we made it to the top of the red banks and he was shaken. And I, and uh, I was going, are you cold? He goes, no, I'm scared shitless. This is freaking nuts. What are we doing up here? <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that ended that trip. And from there, it's still another two miles, but it's not as sketchy. The last you get this summit plateau and it's not so bad from there. And so about six, seven years ago, an old high school buddy had moved up by me. This was the high school jock, totally intense guy. I've known him since sixth grade. We hadn't talked in 20 years. He goes, Terry, let's get out and do something. Let me tell you, let's go climb Mount Shasta. He's a triathlete, still in super ridiculous good shape. So I go, okay, I've learned a few things. We're going to camp halfway up on the mountain in the snow. That's the way to do it. So you can see, you don't have to bite off the whole thing. So we went up halfway and, uh, camped and slept, got a few hours of sleep, got up at two in the morning and you're in a little camp city. This is the way everybody does it. So all these youngins, we're here, we're like 55 year old guys. They're all just booking up the mountains and we're just chugging away. That's another thing. Old guy knowledge right here. Uh Don't burn yourself out early on trips, relax your body, take smaller strides, pace yourself. Cause if you don't, you're going to be paying for it and you just burn yourself out. So that almost kids, sounds like that almost sounds like a pro tip, bait man. You can't use that one now. Okay. I'll, I got plenty of pro tips. Okay. Old man tips. I'll call them. <laughs> so we're seeing all these headlamps way out ahead of us. And uh, my buddy's this cyclist guy. So we're about halfway up this avalanche gulch and I'm starting to struggle and I'm not used to being the guy that's struggling. This guy's just a stud and he pulls out his secret sauce cycling electrolyte recharging goo and we're dumping that in water and we're just chugging along pretty soon we just passed everybody and uh these were like 20 year old kids they just burned themselves out we were the first ones on the summit we were up there for about an hour before anybody else came up so shout out to the old guys old guys rule Uh, us in the hair story right there (laughs) but coming down i did have to self-arrest and uh, luckily, I by then, I knew how to use my gear. Uh, a lot of people don't know how to use the gear when they do things like that. It's another bucket list item. So make sure you know how to use your gear. Finally got Shasta. But a lot of fun. A place. Uh, 
it's something me and my girlfriend, some of our first outings, uh, this I break and my girlfriend's beside, before I decide to marry him, we'll go camp out under Lassen or Shasta or on the ocean. And uh, she just, she loves it there too. Yeah, Shasta, very special place. So, Yeah, you talk about self-arresting. Um, I remember reading a stat somewhere that with mountaineering, most of the accidents, I don't know if it's like a 65, 35% mm-hmm. happens on the way down. Yeah, that's true. Cause you're tired yeah. and uh, you get, your muscles are sore and you're, you get that uh, trailhead fever. And uh, one of the reasons when you're going uphill, it's easier to self-arrest when you fall on your stomach instead of your back. The urge is to put your, your crampons down. When you're at high speed, you want to put your legs up in the air because crampons catch. That's when you get a serious injury. Uh, you put your crampons up and use your, then you roll over with your feet up in the air and dig in your axe. And I saw a lady fall at the top of the red banks and slide 2000 feet down the mountain, nothing serious, but she was pretty bloodied up. And, uh, I remember a bunch of hikers came around and put their coats around her while she stripped off all her shredded clothing and bandaged her up. That was the end of her day, but she was able to hike down, but yeah, it's, it's no joke. So, uh, safety. I tell these stories, please people, if you're young, learn, I, I'm lucky to be here and I didn't have any serious injuries. Uh, I survived, but there's no use doing that stuff, but it it was fun. It's a good story. It almost seems like we should have started this episode with a disclaimer. (laughs) Yeah. Don't, don't do as I did, you know, learn from my mistakes. So that's right. Very good. And, and and sliding 2000 feet. I don't know if I'd be more upset about the, you know, the, the, the road burn or the fact that I just lost 2000 feet of altitude. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, she didn't have her ice axe around her wrist. So uh-huh. when she, it slid off and then she had no way of self-arresting. So uh, rent, rental gear, didn't know how to use it, but she was fine. She lived to hike another day or maybe she never hiked again. Yeah, could be, could be. <laughs> so let's, uh, that, that was quite a story, quite a few stories from Shasta. That was great. Thank you. Uh, let, let's, head, let's head back to Yosemite. Any more stories from Yosemite? Yeah, so back to the family camping days. Uh, at, Dad was a, a father of five kids, very busy man. Truth, truthfully, he was kind of an asshole when he when he we were kids. He just yelled at us a lot. Get out of get out of his face. Uh, but when he retired, by the way, I just retired two months ago. Congratulations! Quit. Yeah, thank you. Quit slash retired. Yeah, I'll be sixty two. In two months. And you know what that means when I turn 62? Come on. Tell me what that 62 means. That means a a regular paycheck coming in from Social Security? Yeah. Better than that. Better than Uh, that. Okay. Lifetime National Parks Pass Senior Pass. I think it's 25 bucks for life. I get into all the national parks for free the rest of my life. You're right. That is better. Congrats. (laughs) Exactly. So (laughs) I always look forward to that, but I didn't look forward to being 62. So so dad retired and uh, now I got to pay him back for all the uh, trips he took us on when we were younger and putting up with five kids. I don't know how my parents did it, but their parents were both saints and dad's no longer with us, but mom still is. And uh, in fact, I just had a conference, I had to take mom to the hearing aid doctor today. And I was asking her a story about when I was a kid. Uh, where she used to drive me to trailheads, me and my friends at trailheads before we were old enough to drive. And she would drive us up to the Santa Cruz mountains, dump us off on a Friday night and pick us up on Sunday afternoon. So how cool is that for parents? So 
It's better than hiring a babysitter. It is. So me and dad did a lot of camping excursions and he loved to fish, but God, he was the worst fisherman. He's, his sight wasn't very good. And uh, when my daughter would come along on a lot of these trips, when she was years old too, and uh, when he'd go to the house. Uh, so yeah, my daughter would come along on these trips and uh, dad was such an awful fisherman and caster. When he'd like step away to go to the bathroom, we'd sneak a fish on and throw it, throw his line out there. And like, he'd roll it in and go, who's catching the fish now? <laughs> and we just love it. Just he, he got a kick out of that. He, had, he never, never knew. So we'd go to these great places, but Tioga Lake at Tioga Pass is one of his favorite places. And uh, some of the areas around there, he was getting too old to hike, but while we'd go there, I'd always go bag Mount Dana. It's a 13,000 foot walk up, but just gorgeous. And uh, one day we were sitting around camp and uh, dad was sitting in camp, just me and him sitting around the campfire. And he goes, that's where I want to be when, when, when it's time. And that was all, that was the only thing that he said. And then a few years later when he did pass mom, mom goes, dad told me that, you know, where, where he wants to be. So uh, his ashes, it's illegal by the way. Some of them are on top of Mount Dana, but uh, the rest of my family, we are all going to, we all went up there to camp and say goodbye to dad. Uh, me and my daughter got the highest. I think she's probably more like eight at the time. She was pretty young. Uh, they all bailed. I tried to take them up an easy hike, Mount Talak the week before to practice. And they all bailed and went to round table pizza. And me and my daughter summited Talak just because it's a, it's a peak in desolation. I really like one of the best wildflower displays in the Sierra, the, the west side of Talak and an epic view of Lake Tahoe. So the family all kind of bailed. My mom at like 80 years old got up to like 12,000 feet. Uh, tough Midwesterners. They grew up in the Midwest. Uh-huh. That's probably where I get my toughness from too. You know, we are soft now compared to the previous generation. Our yeah. parents would do some tough stuff. So we, is that, is that where you want to be uh, when, when it's your time? Mount Talac? Uh, not Talac. Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't thought about it yet that much, but some, some mountaintop, my daughter will figure it out. So Elaine, if you're watching this, uh, you figure it out. Yeah. You I, know, told, you know I told, like. <laughs> I told my three kids for top of Forrester pass. Forrester's a good one. Yeah. yeah I love that. Yeah. I, I'll, a- I'll probably, I'll probably end up in a flower bed in our backyard somewhere, but you know, I, I, I put in the, in the, uh, the trust that, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to be deposited up on top of Forrester. We'll see what happens. I'm more of a loner. So the peaks are crowded with ashes of all kinds of people, but you have somebody to talk to, you know, an area <laughs> up there that I really like is it's not particularly scenic. It's just the epic surroundings. There's the Bighorn Plateau. Yes, I love Bighorn Plateau. It's such a freaking view, 360. And uh, yeah, that, that, that could be a good spot right yes, there too. agreed, agreed. But yeah, somewhere along the JMT would be cool. So, mm-hmm. so anyway, uh, yeah, I've just uh, spent a lot of time, some real quality time with dad, really got to know him. Uh, give your parents a chance in their older age when they're – when they think slow down, they're, they're different people. And you realize they have problems just like us. And uh, yeah, me and dad were super close. So he uh, had a big impact on me and uh, some of my outlooks, he's a, both my parents are save the world kind of people. Uh, I'm an environmental wacko uh, all about preservation and uh, 
uh, I'm in the Sierra Club. I hate the hiking groups that I run into, those 50 guys coming over a mountain strapped together with ropes. You know what I mean? Yes. But their legal teams are killer, and they help protect our wilderness. So that's one or, uh, example of an organization I'm in just for their for their legal teams. But yeah, a lot of that, uh, my parents told me, get off my butt and do something about it uh, instead of sitting there whining about it. So I try to do uh, things to try and uh, sway uh, people to be kinder to the environment and to preserve things. And yeah, it's, and, and that, that comes from my parents. Yeah. And you know, I want to go back to a comment you made about give your parents a chance, get to know them a little bit when they're older and things slow down. I, I, I really, that really resonates with me because the past uh, year or so I've been spending a lot of time with my dad and you know, when you're a kid, you all, you have this, this vi vision, this image of your parents that's cemented from a young age that they've always been old or older and that they were never, they were never a kid. And this past year and talking to my dad and just going through the stories of, of him growing up and what he went through and uh, everything else, it really kind of uh, reframes it, puts it into a new perspective and you have a, a newfound appreciation. So I totally agree with that, that statement. Definitely. Yep. Give them a chance They're, uh They had interesting lives too. So yeah, good point. Yep. Hey, is that uh guitar lake in your background there? So in the background here, that's, uh, that's evolution. 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 Okay. Yeah. 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 Okay. Epic spot. Yeah. It is an epic spot. Yep. Yeah. One of my favorites. All right. So, Hey, speaking of evolution Lake and uh, you know, Forester pass and, and bighorn plateau, let's talk about the JMT. All right. How much experience have you had with our favorite topic on this podcast, the John Muir trail? Been hiking sections of it for probably 25 years. Uh, never even thought about doing the whole thing. Uh, my daughter's first backpacking trip was uh, Tuolumne Meadows to Thousand Island and Garnet, and then back out to Reds. Then we did a week trip up to Kursar out of uh, Onion Valley. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, we did Horseshoe Meadows. I took her and her boyfriend at the time up we had to climb Mount Whitney mm -hmm. and uh, we did an onion Valley. I, Oh no, we, I think I just took her on that one, but we did another trip out of onion Valley and uh, then came up to Whitney from there. Back then you could actually get an exit permit. You know, now you got to get the exit permits, whether they're 20 a day or something like that. So you right. usually got to, if you come in from onion Valley, you got to exit it down at horseshoe. We were able to get a permit and go up uh, over Forrester and then up uh, through Crabtree and, we did a lot of sections like that. We, we did several trips. I've always liked Garnet uh, over Thousand Island because Thousand Island is a little too crowded. We did a lot of trips up in that area because the fishing's really good. Mm -hmm. uh, Garnet's got some decent sized uh, rainbows in it. And then with, when you get further south, you're talking about uh, Goldens. In fact, I'm, trying to, I'm thinking about doing a lum, over the Lamarck Coal this summer. I'm hoping to do that trip and come down the Darwin Bench into the Evolution Basin. Okay. And do, it's kind of a version of the North Lake, South Lake trip. But so we did a lot of trips based on uh, fishing and eating fish in those days when my daughter was younger. So then we met the mile, a mile and a half crew, I think in 2011. And uh, my daughter says, Dad, you got to man up. We got to do the whole JMT. So, you know, I got a probably a 14 year old kid saying, let's do the JMT. 
I'm down with that. Sure. So, you know, the sounds like that sounds like your daughter knew, knew you and she knew what button to push. You got a man up. She's going back to those high school days, college days. And, uh, you know, well, calling on your manhood there. Uh, she did. And that she knows how to get through to me. Uh, <laughs> I was a single dad for, for quite a few years. So I didn't have to get permission and I dragged her on some pretty epic trips in the day without having to ask mom's permission. So she's a pretty seasoned hiker. And, uh, she called me about two weeks ago. She says, dad, I scored a permit for eight into Hoover wilderness on labor day weekend. She's already planning ahead. And, uh, she does this on her own and, uh, I did something right. So maybe she's man, eight man, you know what I need to do? I need to have your daughter on an episode and kind of get her version of events. This this is, this sounds promising. That sounds dangerous, but, uh, (laughs) She's a pretty cool kid. She's a, she was in the, uh, a biology major and she's totally into the outdoors and uh, she works for a utility down in San Diego. But uh, we meet, usually our, our meetups are halfway in the Sierra on the east side somewhere that involve camping and backpacking. So uh, she's got the bug. Uh, she, I think she was just up at Mount Luna, Laguna last week and she told me there's snow up there right now. And uh, so maybe I'm, I'm doing what my dad did did uh, with me and I instilled some things. She, she really loves the outdoors. So uh, luckily I had a job where I could get a couple weeks off and uh, 2014, we did the, the, the JMT from happy Isles to uh, Whitney and out, out the traditional way. And uh, yeah, 17 days. And we got the permit on the first try amazingly golden ticket right there uh-huh so it's it's changed so jason and crew i love you and i hate you but some <laughs> of the books that have come out i think one was called almost there uh there's a lot of books about uh did you ever read, read the final season it i'm in about the a ranger yeah i'm in the middle that's randy randy morganson we we talked about him a little bit earlier i was uh i'm in the middle of that book right now oh yeah with the right there uh, and, uh, yeah, there, a lot of those books brought a lot of attention to the JMT. Now, now you got to get on like exactly six months at 7am and hit the button and hope you get a spot. And I'm not that kind of hiker. I just, I've, the JMT, I think is probably maybe the second or third time I reserved a permit in advance. I used to just show up at the ranger station. Mm-hmm. What do you got? Or you call a week in advance and they would mail it to you back in the day. And, uh, it's kind of depressing, but you know, I understand that it's, it's so epic out there on the GMT. Yeah. Uh, and it is a lifelong memory and experience that me and my daughter will share forever. And it was one of the greatest trips of my life just because I got to share it with my daughter and it was, it was just a blast. So we had so much fun. Yeah, it's special because it's the JMT, and it's special because you got to do it with your daughter. So that that was a an epic trip. And I want to go back to just a couple of things you said. Uh, one is if you're able to pass on the hiking bug, the bike, the backpacking bug to your your kids, then you you are a successful parent. So yep. congratu- congratulations on that. Well done. And it, everybody needs to have that connection with wilderness and understand what wilderness is. It's one of the things I enjoy about solo hiking mm-hmm. when you're out there just on your own and it's uh something special about it and you just it's uh it's a spiritual thing for me and i just love it and i'd like as many young people 
to experience, but go to experience on a different trailhead than mine. <laughs> but no, it's, it's, it, it will make people think differently about the world and their part in it and where we fit into it. So yeah, uh, me and my daughter have got to share a lot of those moments and I seem to have uh, got instilled that wilderness feeling in her. So uh, good job. <laughs> there you go. Very good. And then also this bit about fish and catching your fish and cooking your fish, you have to share with us, what is your, what is your, your procedures for cooking the fish? Are you carrying a, a, a cast iron skillet out there? Are you <laughs> roasting them on a spit over the fire? How does that work? Okay. Back in the day, we'd bring a big old fry pan and uh -huh. uh, that's the way we did it. You'd have a few guys and you just share the gear, but, uh, there's a, there's a plug for a company. I don't know if they even still make it. It's called Bake Packer. Bake Packer. It fits into a pot about this big, and it's just got cells. You can do it with rocks in a pan, too. And it, you fill it about halfway up to the top of these little cells and boil water, and mm -hmm. it turns it into an oven. And you put the, the trout, you fillet them or clean them best you can, and you, you put them in a bag, and you boil the water for 14 minutes. They come out great. You, it's pretty fuel-intensive, so... You can't, you got to bring a lot of fuel or just, you, we used to cook them over the fire, like you said, on a, on a pan, but I've learned to, to transition and I'm very Spartan in my, my gear is very Spartan, but I'm very comfortable and helps to have disposable income at an older age. And I've been able to hit the cottage companies up and, uh, get some really good gear and, uh, and still be comfortable and, and be, be light. So my daughter is still using my hand-me-downs and what she can afford though. So we're still building up her, her kit. Right. Right. And what was, what was your base weight for that 2014 trip? Oh God. Uh, when we got out of, uh, we probably about 40 pounds. This is pre ultralight days. Right. So I remember, uh, leaving Muir trail ranch uh, we resupplied at Muir Trail Ranch and no, no more resupplies. We didn't want to do any other side trips from there. And uh, I think my pack was 50 pounds and hers was 40 pounds. And she's a pretty, pretty small girl. Her trail name's Monkey, by the way. Monkey. Ape Man, Man and Monkey. That's so, nice. Very good. She's a, not a complainer, but uh, she only cried once on the John Muir Trail after one of those 15, 16 mile days where it was just early in the trip, we hadn't got her trail legs yet, but she tried to hide it from me, but she's, she's just a tough, tough kid. All right. And has monkey shared with you over the years, what some of her favorite moments were on that uh, 2014 hike? Uh, the end. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, she liked, uh, what well, couple of our favorite places. She really liked, uh, Muir pass of course, Forrester, uh, and uh, we've always liked Guitar Lake, and uh, let's see, the burger at at uh, at uh, She made me for uh, one of my birthday presents. She put together uh, a photo album of all the of every day and how the mileages every day, and a bunch of pictures of every day. And the uh, Tuolumne Meadows says, enjoyed a cardboard burger at Tuolumne Meadows. <laughs> but, you know, you take advantage of all the calorie places you can get. But uh, it's, it's a pretty, pretty awesome gift. I just looked through it the other day and it's like, 
it's it's very detailed with little notes and uh and our last two days we uh a snowstorm was coming in we started in late august and an early snowstorm we heard from other hikers was coming in and when we summited whitney uh there was just starting to get some snow flurries so we cut off our last day and we did two 20 mile days our last two days so we camped in middle vedette mm-hmm. and we exited at a trail crest uh in two days from there so wow pretty good haul that is and we camped in crabtree next to rob Pulowski's uh, ranger station <laughs> and uh we got up at uh he came out and chatted with us we were telling he was telling him we were telling him our uh, our plans and he goes man you guys are nuts but he goes yeah there's a storm coming in so we slept for about three hours, got up and ate some instant mashed potatoes and the very little bit of last food we had and got up at midnight and hiked up by, by headlamp up to Whitney. We'd planned to spend an easy day at guitar, catch mm-hmm. some fish and eat them. We had saved some fuel because guitars got really easy to catch fish in too. And we kind of liked that place, even though it's a zoo or the tarns up above. Uh-huh. But we did a, we hiked from Crabtree to Whitney and out and, uh, she was just excited to be, she was scared of the weather. She doesn't like the bad weather. Mm-hmm. And uh, coming down the 99 switchbacks, she started getting really wobbly. Like, and she was uh, saying, dad, I feel like I'm drunk. And I go, how do you know you what feeling like you're drunk <laughs> is? And uh, we kind of both balked because we had pushed it so hard. Yeah. So we just kind of collapsed at the bottom of the switchbacks took a nap, pulled out some candy and what other food we had left over and scarfed that down and woke up and we were able to make it out and hitch a ride down, down to 395. And we checked into a motel and scarfed, scarfed a bunch of food. So nice. lifelong memories and uh, it's a bond we'll always share. I mean, mm-hmm. everybody should try and do an epic trip. It was just me and her too. So yeah. uh, great, great trip and many yeah. great memories. Now, eight man, you left it at midnight from Crabtree. Was, was mm-hmm. that to uh, have a sun sunrise summit of Whitney? Did you, what was the timing on that? Well, we actually exactly we actually purposely timed it so we could be out when there was no moon. And if on the, this is another thing that people have, probably haven't, not a lot of people have experienced, especially as flatlanders. Uh, at night, the stars can be so bright up at, you know, 13, 14,000 feet. You can actually see by starlight. It actually lights the way for you. And I'd been up that trail a few times. So, so had she, and we knew the way. So we hiked a lot of it without headlamps, you know, once you adjust. Mm-hmm. And just shooting stars everywhere. Like every 30 seconds, you'd see a shooting star and nobody else on the trail. And it was amazing. We didn't quite make the summit at uh, sunrise, but uh, we, we got pretty close and we shared the summit with one other guy. Nobody else was up there yet. And uh, yeah, just another a great way to cap out uh, just an amazing trip. Yeah, it sounds very similar to uh, the experience of me and my son, uh, but we, we actually ended up camping just underneath the trail crest sign and we oh, that's our, an uncomfortable set, spot. <laughs> yeah, I had to haul our water up there, but we set up our, our tent. We got there about, uh, I don't know, 5.30 or so. Nice. And, and we got up to the top of Whitney for a sunset summit, and there's only one other person up there at the time. Oh, and very so cool. It was, it, was, uh, it was epic. 
Isn't that a spot with a bunch of rocks piled up? It's for like one tent spot. I think That's I've correct. seen that spot. That's correct. You can get, you can get uh, I think maybe six people up there. Uh huh. Yeah. Wow. That's very cool. Sunset's great too, because there's nobody up there. Yeah. Did you have it to yourself or were there other people up there? There were, um, at that campsite, there were, I think maybe three other people. Okay. Yeah. We were going up, we were going up the switchbacks from Guitar Lake. And I, I told my son, I said, Hey, you know, there's limited space up there. Uh, you go ahead, leave me on the dust. You go ahead and, and use those young oh, nice. and, and get up there and, yeah. and grab us a spot. And that's what he did. So how old was your son when you did that? He was, this was 2017. So he was uh, 20 years old. Nice. And the, the other reason you'd want to do that, you did that during the day, but I've always done it at night because it's discouraging to see that slope just in front of you. And it just doesn't take forever to get up to that trail crest. <laughs> Right. But, yeah. And you say hiking by starlight. You know, I wish I could do that. I, I haven't seen too many stars because I'm always out before hiker midnight. I'm, I'm, I'm always, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm wiped out. I hear you on that. You got to be, uh, you got to do it when the moon's not out too. But uh, as an, on that trip, I used a Z light pack. I mean, a Z light pad, you know, the ones that fold up like an accordion mm -hmm. trying to be lighter. Mm -hmm. And I slept awful the whole trip. There was one night my daughter let me use her blow up pad. It was the only night I slept. I slept good through the night. So uh, that was the night, uh, the day that I pissed blood on the trail. Oh. So I learned about this is another thing I learned about when you get dehydrated, you're uh, a lot of marathoners uh, have this problem. Uh, you, if you don't stay hydrated enough, your bladder walls rub together and slough off. I thought I was dying or something out there. So I was pissing blood for a day. So we could, we, I didn't tell my daughter, of course, <laughs> uh, I wasn't going to cut the trip short. So uh, it was kind of shocking to look down at that rock and it was like not pale blood. It was bright red blood. Ooh. So I took a swim in a lake, drank a ton of water and it, she let me sleep on her pad that night and it cleared up and I was fine. So Nice. Right uh, there. Right there's another pro tip. Don't let the, the bladder <laughs> walls rub together. That's right. <laughs> Very good. Hey, eight man, you, you've had, uh, you said earlier, you've had two knee replacements Uh huh. and one as recent as three months ago. How, how is the hiking life with uh, knee replacements going? Well, a lot of people get knee replacements because they want to be able to walk. I got knee replacements because I want to be able to backpack. So I tore an ACL uh, playing softball at about 30 and that knee, I milked it along, had a couple of, had a meniscus clean out, taken all kinds of anti-inflammatories and injections, cortisone and milked it for 20 years and 25 years. And finally a surgeon said, you, you got to get a new knee. And actually I went in and got an uh, MRI and the doctor came out and said, I've seen better knees on guys in wheelchairs you got to replace this knee i mean it would just balloon up on trips mm -hmm. hikes involve stopping at lunch and soaking it in a cold lake and at dinner soaking it in a cold lake or stream so got it replaced i was a little worried about it it was fine six months later i went backpacking uh and that was about three four years ago and i just had the other one done three weeks ago and if you go to my youtube channel you'll see me out snowshoeing seven weeks after my replacement uh and my snowshoes broke so i had to post hole in oh. a couple miles and yeah 
Uh, again, I told you I'm stupid and stubborn. <laughs> it, it hurt a little, but uh, if you move around after knee replacement, it's fine. So now I got two really solid knees. They don't quite bend as much. Uh, I did an off trail with a, some buddies two summers ago with a lot of climbing over rocks and stuff. It was a little tougher for that. I got to kind of crawl over stuff where they can step over. The flexibility is not quite there, but they're strong, no pain. If I had the time, I could do the PCT. Uh, maybe not this year, definitely not this year, but who knows? Maybe it's, it, it might be in my future. Uh, they're, these surgeons are good. And now that I've got, I've had five surgeries uh, and I'm done. They're, they're good to go. My hiking poles are a very close friend. Downhills are a little rough, but mm -hmm. I can still pump out a 15 mile day if I have to. And yeah, there's some swelling and stuff, but Hey, I'm 61 years old and I'm just happy to be able to get out in the woods. Nice. So with the two knee replacements, you're ready for the next 45 years of hiking. Well, they say they wear out in 20 years, but we'll see about that. Okay. And if you, <laughs> if you do do the PCT next year, you have to agree to come on and tell us some stories from the, from the PCT. Uh, you might read about in the paper, the 62 year old dies on the trail, but I'm going to try and try to make it, but yeah, that'd be great. It, it, it's something I'd love to do. And Hey, you mentioned your YouTube channel. Tell us a little bit about uh, what's what, what people can expect to find on eight man's YouTube channel. Okay. Well, uh, originally I made a video of me and my daughter's hike. That was kind of my first serious YouTube video mm -hmm. and it was for friends and family. And surprisingly like thousands of people watched it and loved it. And, uh, I was kind of surprised by that. It was just, uh, I just did it for fun and it was my first time using iMovie and it's not great, but it's got a great content because it's the JMT. So it looks beautiful on, on film. I think it's like not the highest quality. There's this 2014, but, uh, it got very popular. So, uh, I learned some tips about how to get the permits. And so I started doing, uh, some how to stuff and trying to help out other hikers part of it uh to share my old man knowledge but part of it to try and get people to hike responsibly because i started having to pick up aluminum beer cans and garbage and seeing those toilet paper flowers everywhere and nothing pisses me off more than that so uh i started trying to do some uh some how-to videos and they they're i'm not uh, super famous, but I think I have 3,700 subscribers right now. And I, I also did my, uh, my knee, knee replacement journey and how that relates to my outdoor, uh, ventures too. So those are actually quite popular. So I try to share some, some fun hikes, some how to stuff. I even have some stuff on gathering wild edibles or there's some gear stuff on there, but it's not the, super high tech. Here's my gear checklist with, you know, 13.62 ounces and they weigh everything. Mine's more go ultralight. Here's some good tips on, on gear to use, but use what's comfortable. And, you know, obviously everybody can't afford your $12,000 gear list to be eight ounces on a, on a PCT hike, but so it's sensible. It's fun. Uh, as you can probably see, I'm kind of goofy. Uh, I'm not high by the way, but, 
<laughs> this is how I am. And people seem to enjoy my stories, hopefully, for your, for your channel's rating sake. <laughs> nice. I've, I've, seen, uh, I've seen a few of your videos, and they are entertaining. So I encourage our, our you. listeners to, to go over and take a look. Hey, uh, Ape Man, let's do an impromptu top five list real quick here. And since we're on the JMT, let's talk about what, what, what are, can you give me a list of your top five locations on the JMT? All right. Uh, I'll go, let's go most epic first. Okay. So that's easy to remember. I wasn't sure where we were doing, where we were going with this. So uh, obviously Summit of Whitney is number one. Okay. Just because you've achieved your goal and you know, it's, it's, it's an epic view and uh, it's funny. You, I took a group of uh, uh, some guys up there who weren't very experienced once for their kind of the, one of the guys, it was his very first backpacking trip and you meet, that's when you meet trail families on these long trips too. Mm-hmm. And we were like, there was two Korean guys with us. We were like lifelong friends. We were all hugging on the top, top of Whitney, that celebration on Whitney, even with total strangers. Yep. It's, it's, it's pretty special. So that's a good one. Okay. Top of Whitney. That's number one. Early on on the hike even though it's a zoo uh is the summit of half dome uh just because again it's crazy that they put these cables up i wouldn't condone building another trail like that but there's these crazy cables they put up on the top of this freaking epic mountain and you can climb up on top of half dome i mean how cool is that <laughs> so uh that's probably number two uh Garnet Thousand Island, even though it's not even the most remote area, that's got to be up there just because part of that is just because I love the sunset over Garnet, mm-hmm. uh, Garnet Peak with that. There's some great sunset, and we've just had a lot of great times in that area. Uh, probably Evolutions in there. Okay. Uh, I love Upper Vedette and Evolution, I, either side of uh, of. And, was that is this number four i'm on yeah you gotta go evolution okay just evolution. that whole area okay and, and five? uh the one i mentioned which i haven't camped at next time i go through there i'm going to camp there is the bighorn plateau it's it's not going to be on most people's lists but uh we camped a night at tyndall before and that was pretty epic with the sky at night but i can't imagine what uh, the bighorn plateau would be at sunrise and sunset and just the Kawea range off in the distance. And, oh, my God, it's beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and you probably have it to yourself. The reflection of the sunset over the little pond up there mm-hmm. would probably be epic. But every time I go through there, I get goosebumps. And so, you know, this is what, I, this is what it's all about. Yeah. The high country and just the views. And, yeah. Yeah. My, but, buddy, my buddy Chopper, he, uh, he got a permit to do the southern half of the JMT this summer. He invited me along, and I, I quickly accepted and the first thing I texted him was, we have to camp on Bighorn Plateau. And did you? So it's coming up. It's the, it's the, oh, you uh, are? Okay. Yeah, awesome. It's the, it's the, the last, it's the very end of July and the first week in August. If any of my listeners want to uh, join me out on the trail or, or you know, have a chance to interact, uh, that's when I'll be out there. But I told them, that was the first thing I said, we have to camp at Bighorn Plateau. Good call. And you, you learn that as a seasoned backpacker that, 
that's one of those special areas. Yeah. Uh, you think you just blow, you, it's one of the areas you blow through during the day. And right. that's kind of the big regret on the GMT. You got to get your miles in yep. and you, you pass through some like special places that you really want to stop at. But yeah. <clears throat> Hey, eight man, you know where we are? You tell me where we are, doc. We are at that point in the episode where I turn to you and ask you for your pro tip inside of the week. What do you have for us? Uh, something you can share with our listeners because it make their next trip that much more epic. Okay. Some more old, old man knowledge. Uh, pro tip. It's not exciting, but this is a great, great tip. And it will, I've, uh, if you haven't uh, suffered from chafing, you're lucky. Uh, it's common from having shitty gear, cotton underwear, uh, where you get uh, wet and you hike 20 miles, your inside of your thighs chafe and sometimes peel and get bubbles of blisters and it's miserable. So I'm going to, my pro tip is going to be underwear. Uh, get some good quality. I like the Merino wool underwear. They dry from the inside out. They keep you nice and dry. Get the little longer ones that go down below your inner thighs. I know your viewers probably don't want to talk about my inner thighs, but they are just fresh as can be even after a long day's hike. But the underwear tip doesn't stop at the underwear. It also goes to socks. Good fitting socks. I've, I, know I learned this the hard way. I used to wear cotton socks back in the day. Uh, good, good tight fitting socks that don't, don't get wrinkles in them. Uh, again, good that draw. I, I happen to, I don't have a sponsor, but, uh, darn tough socks swear by them. Uh, I don't get blisters from them. Uh, I've popped too many blisters, bled too many times and struggled on long hikes, underwear. So trust me on this, get some quality under underwear. Don't, don't be surprised to spend 50 bucks on a good quality pair of underwear. If you're like me, you wear them for 17 days straight and smell pretty bad, but you go swimming in them to do the laundry on them, but uh, get some good underwear. Maybe get two pairs, nice. Switch, rotate them, and then you can turn them inside out and get another day out of them. <laughs> hey, man, a little bit too much information there, but uh, we appreciate it. You want to take care of those inner thighs and, and potatoes. Keep the potatoes happy. Keep the potatoes dry and happy. Uh, <laughs> avoid the chafe, avoid the blisters. Right on. Uh, very good. Thank you. So there you have it. That's it. Season two, episode 18. Is I, got, I got one more thing. Oh, oh, oh Sorry, one more thing. Oh, go, go right ahead. I want to talk about one more thing that really adds to my, to my enjoyment of my trips. Okay. Uh, and that is uh, trees and flora and fauna. Uh, I'm an arborist. Uh, I'm a certified arborist, and uh, one of the things I learned that really enhances my trips is I learned all about the Sierra trees, and there are some of the trees, those trees in the background behind you, and those are white bark pines. They only grow up the tree line. Uh, I've learned all about the trees, where they grow, why they grow there, and uh, it you can tell what elevation you're at with without even having a put a, 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 a altimeter on you just by looking at the trees. There's trees that grow down in the Southern Sierra, the foxtail pines. They don't grow anywhere else in the world. So there's some amazing trees and plants and flowers. And uh, it just adds so much more to my hike. 
and this is a environmental thing I have to send out to the noobs and it's a pet peeve of mine. And I will give you a talking to in a friendly way. Uh, do not camp on meadows, camp on established spots on rocky areas. Do not camp on meadows and make new spots and be kind. It's under a lot of pressure out there, but, uh, I highly recommend uh, learning more about the plants and the trees. And it just, it makes, it really adds a lot of enjoyment to my hikes and uh, be kind to the nature that is being so kind to you and allowing us to enhance our lives as it enhances, you know, we can enhance our lives wide and and let's keep it, keep it that way. And uh, my moniker from my YouTube channel that I was in my videos with this happy trails. All right. Very good. Yes. We have a leave no trace episode that uh, we shared before, before this episode. So hopefully that resonates with some of our listeners. You definitely want to take care of uh, the beauty and the nature out there. So it's there for generations. Well said, well said. All right. So with that, we're in the books. I hope our listeners enjoyed our time with eight man. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Eight man, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? All right. Uh, I have an Instagram account. I'm old man hiker. And on YouTube, I'm under ape, ape man, two words, ape man. That's my first and last name. I uh, just Google ape man hiking and you'll, you'll see my channel. So uh, I usually accrue some footage during the summer and, and post things as I can. So uh, yep. Thanks for watching. Nice. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakinmirror at gmail.com. Eight man, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, a documentary, or a website that will keep our listeners connected to outdoor adventures. We're calling this the outdoor adventure media recommendation. What do you have for us? Well, the Randy Martinson book, the last, the last season, the final season, epic book, very interesting, yeah. not a well-known book. Uh, and uh, I'm going to share a tree book. Okay. It's called Conifers of California called uh, by a guy named, he's a biologist named Robert Lanner, Conifers of California. It'll get you on your way to learn, knowing all the Sierra trees and making your hikes that much better. Very good. And before we wrap things up, I'm starting a new segment called What Have I Not Asked You That You're Dying to Tell Me About? Did I miss something in the interview? Okay. Well, I, I butt in and put in my tree, my tree stuff. So, uh, no, I think we covered it. Uh, okay. There's lots of uh, – I could go on it's forever about different trips and that, this and that, but that's, that's for another day around the campfire when there's a, a lot of time and a little of that to uh, enhance the stories. But uh, it's edibles now, by the way. That's a sleep enhancer, by the way. Uh, oh, sounds like recent, a pro tip. Re- recently found its way in my pack. Uh, more for the sleeping part of it. It, oh. uh, it helps me sleep. So I'm not, I'm not a heavy indulger in that product. But hey, out in the woods, who's asking? Got it. Got it. All right. Well, that's a wrap from the John Freaking Your Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Eight Man? Other than Monkey, you've already given her a shout out. Yeah, I just want to thank my wife, Jody, uh, for putting up with my obsession. It's pretty much 
all I talk about or all I do is either hike or talk about the next hiking trip or when the next time we're going to get out in the woods. I think I'm going snowshoeing Wednesday. So if things go good, that's my next outing up in Desolation Wilderness. So, but yeah, uh, friends and family uh, have always been uh, supportive of me and indulge me by pretending they like my story. So hopefully uh, some of my stories resonate with your viewer. <laughs> Absolutely. At least you have friends and family who indulge you by, by pretending to like your stories. Very good. Yep. Thank you. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill. It doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you're halfway up Mount Shasta and you're dodging Volkswagens. The trail is the trail. <laughs> Embrace the suck. All right. Thanks for having me, Doc. Happy trails, everybody. Happy trails.